So uh, let's waste no time. Let's welcome our guest for this evening, Amaro. How are you doing? Very well. You managed you. to get here okay, we see. Yes, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> Very warm welcome to the programme, Amaro. Um, now, maybe you could start by talking about life um, in that wonderful monastery. I've been there a couple of times that you live in up in Great Gaddesden. What, what's, it like, uh, what's it like living there? Well, Amravati Monastery is a, a mixture of um, activity and, uh, and quietude. So our monastic day starts very early in the morning. So we have a, a morning bell at four o'clock. And then the early part of the day is mostly quiet meditation, uh, in the, either in the main temple uh, or in one of the uh, smaller meditation rooms. And then uh, usually a period of chanting, devotional chanting and recollections of the Buddhist teaching. So the, the early part of the day is very silent, very still and quiet. And then it's quite a large community, about 50 or 60 residents. And, and right now we're uh, preparing for a big festival day on the weekend and also our abbot's um, retirement the week after. And so there's a lot of activity, many people coming to visit. So the days are filled with preparations, activity. Um, and then so during the day, we take care of all the, the um, tasks of preparing food, tidying the place up. Um, teaching people who are interested to come to visit. And then in the evening, we have, again, the, the closure of the day. There's a quiet gathering time for meditation and for chanting and for solitude. And then we will go to our individual spaces, rooms or, or cabins uh, later in the evening. Can you talk a little bit about meditation? How, how is that for you? Well, meditation as a Buddhist monk and also as a Buddhist practitioner, meditation is really the... Um, uh, the main way that we use for training the mind to find qualities of peacefulness, qualities of understanding and uh, contentment in life, and uh, a sense of being able to work with life's different difficulties and ups and downs. So it's really, in terms of, of our monastic life, it's the, the real heart of what draws people to the monastery in many, many respects, and what uh, we would see as the most important activity that we, we carry out during the day. And what led you to take up a Buddhist path, and especially becoming a monk? What was it that uh, pushed you in that direction? Well, uh, a lack of uh, of happiness, a lack of uh, integration, <laughs> general confusion, and and uh, insecurity. Actually, I was uh, just finished a university degree in London. This was back in the mid seventies, uh, many years ago, and so uh, I'd done a degree in psychology and physiology. So I'd studied the body and mind through an academic portal, but uh, I realized at the end of it um, I wasn't that much happier or didn't have that much more understanding about uh, how my life worked and, and how to find any kind of real qualities of, of, uh, of freedom and happiness in, in life. So uh, I thought it's not about uh, reading more books or, or doing more experiments, uh, but more changing something very radical within myself, and it seemed that meditation and Eastern religions pointed directly to that. So. Uh, I wasn't particularly attracted towards Buddhism in particular, but more just Asian philosophy, the Asian way of talking about things as you find in Hinduism or in uh, Taoism, in uh, ancient mystical traditions of, of Asia. I appreciated that kind of language and expression of things, so I took off after I'd finished the degree to, uh, to go to Southeast Asia and just to explore. And as it turned out, my feet carried me into a, a meditation monastery in Northeast Thailand, just a, a few months after I I set off on my travels, and that's where I really encountered Buddhism for the first time. And so that seemed to have uh, there uh, an embodying of the kind of things I needed. It was a very simple life, very down-to-earth. Um, they were practicing meditation, they lived a very moral life, and they were extraordinarily sane 
and good-hearted people. So I had this strong feeling of whatever it is that they're doing here, <laughs> I want some of it. <laughs> Even though I, you know, I, I disagreed with the idea of organized religion, and I didn't like the idea of institutions and rules that was kind of off the edge of my map. I was more of a hippie anarchist type uh, as a teenager, but they seemed so uh, alarmingly uh, peaceful and, and happy and uh, cheerful. I thought, well, even though I object to their, um, the, the ideas in principle, you know, following rules and, and belonging to an ancient institutional religion, certainly the result of it looks really, really interesting. So I thought, well, I'll stick around and uh, see whether uh, what they do and how they live here is something that's valuable to me. So that was January of 1978. And uh, basically, I didn't leave after I arrived there. So how long were you there for together? At that monastery, um, for about uh, uh, 15 months originally, and then I went off to stay at different branch monasteries in Thailand. But uh, the process of becoming a monk is um, it's not something you, can, you just do overnight, particularly in that, in that uh, uh, monastery under that teacher. So uh, I was a postulant, uh, a trainee for about five months, and then a novice for about another nine months. And so then it was April of the following year that I became a fully ordained monk. So there's a slow sort of introduction, apprenticeship process. And um, tell me um, a little bit about um, the, the teachings. I mean, what was it about Buddhist teachings that really felt, it felt right for you to, to follow them? Well, the, the thing that really caught my attention was, well, first of all, how uh, sane and, and uh, clear-minded and peaceful, cheerful the people seemed to be, even though they certainly still had some problems and difficulties, their whole uh, down-to-earth and practical manner that they related to their own foibles, their own weaknesses, their own strengths, um, was, was very appealing. And the whole spirit of inquiry was very attractive because I grew up in the Church of England. My parents were, sort of like many of us, sort of nominal, nominal C of E uh, types. So I went to schools that had a, a Christian service that began each day and uh, was sent to Sunday school as a little child. But even by the age of seven or eight, I had so many questions and I wanted to um, find out how it all worked or how, why, why did the people believe what, what they believed. And... Uh, it, the answers never really satisfied me when I, was, when I was told, well, how do you believe if you don't believe? And I was just told, don't be cheeky, boy. <laughs> just, be, just believe and <laughs> just get on believe with it. Just believe and, and uh, yeah. get on with it. Don't be cheeky. <laughs> and so I remember when I was uh, about seven or eight at the primary school that I was at, uh, the prep school was, uh, we were being taught the Apostles' Creed, and it starts off with these words, I believe in God the Father, creator of heaven and earth. So uh, being a sort of cheeky brat that I was, I stuck my hand up and said, Sir, uh, if you don't believe, uh, is it right to say the words and then be lying? Or should you not say the words? What should I do, sir? <laughs> so I got the, re the response, don't be cheeky, boy. <laughs> and that was it. So I remember that quite distinctly and thinking, that's really stupid. I was only seven or eight. Uh, but I thought, that's, that's wrong. That's, that's not the way to, to approach it, even though I hadn't got a clue what was the right approach. So then coming across Buddhism, which uh, certainly it has a whole huge uh, array of scriptures and teachings and principles, the basic encouragement is to explore for yourself and to try things out and see if they work. And if it's useful, take it and keep it and, and make it work for you. If it doesn't work, if it's not useful, if it, if it doesn't accord with your own experience, then leave it aside. So it was that combination of a very rigorous life and very focused discipline and committed community that I met there in Thailand and as we have here in, in Amravati Monastery in, in Great Gadsden. 
it was that combination of, of a, a rigorous and well-focused way of life, but a very broad and open attitude to spiritual belief and understanding. That sense of, of look, find out, explore for yourself and see, uh, see what's true. That was a, a really appealing mixture. And certainly that seems to be what draws most people, um, particularly from the, um, those who haven't grown up in the Buddhist culture, uh, to uh, to come to Amravati or to come to the different meditation classes we have and such like. Yeah, it seems a lot of people do turn to Buddhism when they're looking for something more sort of spiritual or, or want to explore. It's it's very very common, isn't it, that people look certainly um, investigate Buddhism. Well, it fits in with that scientific uh, conditioning that we have that you need to try things out and test it with a scientific method. And if the experiment works, it tells you something. If the experiment doesn't work, it tells you something. And so rather than just taking things um, uh, as they're handed to you, that sense of, of uh, ex exploration and uh, curiosity to, to look for yourself and to find out for yourself and not to believe blindly, that really accords very strongly with the kind of education that people have, the, the uh, more secularized society that we live in. It's uh, just don't take things at face value, but find out for yourself. So that exploratory quality of Buddhism really appeals to people. And so that it's, it's obviously a thing, it's an ancient tradition, it's the, and the monastic order is the uh, longest lasting human institution still functioning under its original bylaws. You know, we still follow the original monastic rules, so it's, it's definitely a, an institution. But the very fact that you're encouraged to not just believe everything that, that is said, or that take everything um, as true just because a, an authority or a teacher or an elder says it, or even because it's written there in the scriptures, but more... Here it is, take a look, uh, see if it works. What's the results if you follow it? Uh, is it useful? If it is, uh, take it if you want to. If you don't find it useful, then leave it aside. So is there, there's some stuff clearly then um, that maybe the Buddha put down that you, you, you don't agree with or it doesn't work for you, would you say? Uh, some things, yes. Mm -hmm. You know, the, with certainly obvious things uh, like the, uh, um, the customary description of the, the structure of the world as, uh, as uh, described in the Buddhist scriptures where you have a, a sort of central mountain, Mount Sumeru, surrounded by rings of mountains and different uh, concentric oceans of, of, of seas. It's like, well, that must have been a, a symbolic description because <laughs> it's definitely my geography lessons and my understanding of the world is it's not built around a huge uh, yeah, world uh, pinnacle like Mount Olympus. But... Uh, you know, the geography is, is very different from what you find in the scriptures. I want to talk to you now. I, I mentioned I've been to the monastery and I picked up some books when I was there, this being one of them, which I, I see is still available. Mm -hmm. is, it, is it pronounced Sitta Viveka? Chitta Viveka. Chitta Viveka. Okay, I wasn't even close, was I? <laughs> <laughs> Teachings from the Silent Mind by uh, Ajahn Samedo. Now, he, is he sort of, uh, does he head the monastery there? Is he the, ch the head monk? or He's the abbot uh, at the moment and he's the founder of our community. So he was the first Western monk to train with our our teacher in Thailand uh, and he joined uh, the monastery there in 1967 so a long long time ago and he founded the whole uh, group of monasteries of, of ours in, in Britain and in Europe so he's just about to retire from uh, his abbacy oh this is the abbot who's retiring yes yeah. okay so uh, and then he invited me to come from uh, the States I was born in England as you can probably tell from my accent <laughs> But uh, I've been living the last 15 years in the States, and so he invited me to come uh, to take over as the, the next abbot at Amravati. Oh, um, you'll be the abbot from next week? That's the plan. Okay, oh, fantastic. Amazing. 
So um, I wanted to ask you something about. I've, I've read uh, the books that I that I um, mentioned uh, that, I, that I, I picked up there, um, and I, I did love very much. Um, well, mo- a lot of the stuff in them, um, but there was one particular chapter from this book that I just mentioned, mm-hmm. which was called Letting Go. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yes. And I, I, I just wanted to say, I mean, that for me that was fantastic because I, I believe in keeping sort of teachings as simple as possible. Um, and it just really, it was just such a fantastic message. Just just to um, explain what it, what it was about for me, um, he, he talks about not sort of focusing on being the best Buddhist or learning all, all the detail of everything. More important, just to, well, certainly that's my understanding, just to let go, that's the most important thing. And he said he did that like for a couple of years. So anything that arose, any thoughts or any, any, anything, just kind of let it fall away. So is that is that kind of something that you you feel kind of is is very powerful for you also that process? Absolutely, yeah. The uh, in terms of meditation and the basic spiritual training, so not just meditation but also the ethical uh, tra- ethical training that we follow, and uh, in a way the 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 manner in which you're guiding yourself to relate to other people and the work that you do. Um, what you find is that the the basic kind of obstructions and difficulties that we meet in life are always being compounded by the habits of clinging and attachment, identification, that I'm doing this, I want that, I need this, I can't stand that, this is mine, that's yours, and that even though on, on one level you can say, well yeah, that is mine, you know, this is, these are my robes, they're not yours, <laughs> those are your headphones, they're not mine, um, that uh, it's when the mind grasps that kind of ownership tightly, uh, and similarly, the way we relate to our own thoughts, our own feelings, our own personality, that kind of clinging and attachment to um, who we, who and what we think we are, to the, the work that we do, the way that we uh, interact with others, our possessions, the, the degree to which there's a, a grasping and a clinging attitude is the same degree to which we'll create alienation and tension within ourselves. So, uh, the encouragement to let go. So letting go doesn't mean throwing things away or destroying things. It means just loosening the grip so that rather than clutching tightly onto an object and getting (laughs) white-knuckled over it and uh, causing ourselves stress and tension, there's a relaxation of the grip so we can still be holding uh, the the thing. We're still relating to other people in a straightforward way. We're taking care of the jobs that we do. We're carrying out this conversation on the radio. But if there's a non-clinging attitude, uh, a, a way of holding it with a, an attitude of non-grasping, then um, the conversation can still happen, but it's not burdensome or difficult. We can take care of our work and, and relate to others without being fixated on a particular outcome that we desire or that we're afraid of or that we're annoyed by, but we're able to be more mindful, which is a, more of a, a sort of Buddhist jargon word. <laughs> Uh, mindful of what's going on and how we feel about it and how we relate to it and the more mindfulness there is the more uh, raw attention and caring attention to the present moment and the less we're caught up in those habits of uh, identification and attachment uh, the more there's a basic attitude of, of letting go then the more freely we can interact with others the more easily we can do our work we can carry out the responsibilities that we have and we can enjoy the quiet moments uh, uh, far more fully because we're not always looking for the next thing to be doing or trying to find something to fill the space uh, or quell the feelings of anxiety or insecurity that that rise up within us we're more happy within our own bodies our own minds our own lives and so you're also letting thoughts any thoughts that come up you're not you're not um, attaching to those either it's, it's it's a process of basically just letting 
whatever's there be there. Indeed, yeah. Uh, but one of the great problems that we have in life, I would say, in my humble opinion, is that we tend to believe that if I think something, it's therefore true. This can be a big problem <laughs> because we don't always we don't always think the same things you know two hours in a row or two minutes in a row. <laughs> And also, we don't think the same things as others. So, if I'm attaching to my thoughts and clinging to those as being absolutely true and right and valid, then that's going to bring me into contention with, with others and, and, and creating a sense of a stressful relationship. So, letting go of thoughts means to, uh, as a, uh, one example I often give it is, it's as if you're uh, listening to the neighbor's radio that it's, you're hearing it, the thoughts are going through your mind, chattering away about what happened earlier on today, or what might happen tomorrow, or, or making commentaries about what you're hearing on Radio Verulam. <laughs> and, uh, and so you're hearing it, it's there, but you don't have to take it too seriously, you don't have to buy into it, it's saying something that pleases you, you know that's a sweet taste, say it's saying something that is annoying or irritating, well it's just a bitter taste, we don't have to get upset or, or uptight about it so that we relate to our own thoughts in a far more relaxed and open way. So letting go of thought doesn't mean to say wiping thought out or trying to make the mind stop thinking altogether. That can be peaceful if the mind is able to, 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 be, to be completely quiet in that way. But more important is the attitude with which we have towards our thoughts, our emotions, our moods, feeling sad, feeling excited, feeling fearful, feeling um, irritated, feeling joyful. That if there's an attitude of letting go, then we're able to fully be with those uh, those states of mind, those experiences, those feelings, those thoughts, and uh, we're able to really enjoy them. Like William Blake said, uh, he that binds himself to a joy doth the winged life destroy. He that kisseth a joy as it flies lives in eternity's sunrise. So, to not be too corny, but it's uh, <laughs> kissing the joy as it flies is the the uh, main aim of uh, that quality of mindfulness or learning to let go is you're able to fully attend and be with life as you experience it and not just be wrapped up in incessant thinking and uh, pondering about the past and uh, being anxious about the future and that was something else he, he spoke about was very much just sitting with whatever should arise whatever kind of state if it's uh, depression fear anxiety to, to sort of allow those as much as you would allow the joy and the fun Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Similarly, like listening to the radio or watching a, a film on the on the television, just you're you're there, you're watching it, you're feeling the, the flow of moods. But you can also recognise, well, this is just a, a, an event happening within my own consciousness, within my mind, and you're not trying to just sterilise your feelings, like you're turning yourself into a, a video camera just recording data. It's not that. You know, you're certainly feeling and. Uh, the, the flow of, uh, of emotion and attitude and inspiration or, or sadness. But there's a beautiful way in which the heart is not entangled in that. So you're participating in life, but without being confused or entangled or, or uh, swept away by the highs and lows. So you're able to be, in a way, more fully human. So it's a witnessing, really, of your emotions, would you say? Would that be... You're, you're there, you're, say, you're saying, okay, now I feel this. You're, you're sort of with it, but you're not attaching to it or saying it's wrong or right or good or bad it's just what it is yeah, you're witnessing it but also i prefer the term partic participating because sometimes when we we talk in terms of witnessing there can be a strange uh, abstraction or pushing things away like that's not really happening or that's not really um real or solid and we we can in a sense be rejecting that or suppressing that 
more helpful is to recognize, yeah, I'm, this is an angry feeling or this is a joyful feeling. This is a fear. This is the quality of fear. It's right here. But um, that uh, sense of being open to it and accepting it uh, doesn't mean to say that we have to, to act upon it. So if we're feeling angry, we don't have to act upon that anger, but you can fully know that angry feeling. Or just as if you feel desire or greed, uh, you can know, wow, I really want that. <laughs> then uh, you can know that, but think, well, can I afford it? <laughs> so wisdom, you know, the wisdom factor comes in at that point. Like, yes, that's really annoying. Do I have to get rid of it? Or can I be patient? Yes, that's really attractive, but can I afford it? Or what's, what are going to be the consequences? So it, it might sound a little bit clinical, but in a way what we're doing is we're learning to, to live in a really robust way so we can be with the attractions and aversions and the, uh, the um, uh, perceptions that we have of the world around us and the things that rise up within us. And we're able to function in a very balanced and an and, and attuned way. Just like if you are playing in an orchestra, if you are paying really close attention to the conductor, then uh, and your attention is fully with the the conductor you're listening to the rest of the of the uh, instruments then your fingers know where to go your heart is really attuned to that moment and so then your contribution to the to the symphony is right in accord with everybody else and it's really that kind of being in accord and contributing your part to the to the music that's really what we're we're doing with meditation training and buddhist practice in general so is it helpful to go into the feelings, whatever whatever comes up, I assume that's the thing to go really deeply into it. No, so if you feel sad, go into the sadness because people tend to resist it, don't they? They want it to go away. That's the normal kind of way, state of mind. Mm. Like I don't like this, I want it out there. So in your practice, if you, if something comes up, if you're witnessing or you're watching or participating, as you put it, in sadness and it's there, do, does, is it helpful to go very deeply into it to see what it's about? It can be certainly. Um, Usually, if uh, if people uh, ask about that, uh, if uh, as a rule of thumb, if you if you notice it and, and recognize that it's there, to just uh, bring that to attention, say, "Oh, this is a sad feeling," and then sometimes just that amount of recognition, say, "Oh, here it is. There's a sad feeling," or you hear a, a bird singing in the trees outside the retreat center window, or, or through the the temple doors, and oh that bird it reminds me of my grandmother's garden and then a, a poignant feeling comes up oh that's a, a sweet memory and then just that recognition then it might fade if it brings up a, a strong uh, intense emotion or something that, that's lingering and staying with you then rather than just letting it dissolve like, oh that's a really strong one there's something really uh, happening there that's uh, that's got some uh, got some weight to it so let's look at that so rather than just thinking of it as oh well I'm trying to uh, focus on the meditation object like trying to be with the, the feeling of the breath or of the sensations of the body as a, a meditation, a focal point in meditation rather than thinking of say the sound of the bird or the uh, the um, uh, other perception, the, the um, thing that's caught your attention in the meditation that that has evoked that, that mood rather than saying oh that, I don't really want to pay attention to that, I want to get back to the feeling of the breath or, or the, the um, uh, sensations of the body uh, instead say well this is a strong emotion so let's go right to that there's a sad feeling here or there's an excited feeling or an anxious feeling uh, a poignant feeling okay well let's go right to that what, where does that come from and you bring your attention to that and, and invite it in to explore it to say okay well what's this about where does this come from why has this got such a charge to it so that it has that same exploratory uh, investigative 
uh, quality that you're you, you're employing that in the meditation as well as in the the general uh, Buddhist approach to life as a whole. Um, and meditation in general, I assume, is is extremely helpful in achieving this um, state of mind where you are able to be less attached. Is that is that, is that a fundamental part of of achieving that state? Well, that's my experience, and uh, <laughs> you seem very laid back and very happy with it all. I have to say. <laughs> well, you can't uh, judge other people's experience. If someone else says, "Well, I don't find it that way," or doesn't that doesn't sound realistic to me? Well, I'm I can't negate other people's experience or say, you know, you're wrong. Yeah, that's not what you're experiencing. <laughs> but certainly, from my own life and the way I've worked with with my mind and uh, the experience I have with many other people who have also tried. Ma- meditation out as um, uh, a practice that they include in their day or something that they've given themselves to in terms of a monastic commitment it certainly seems to work that way that uh, the more that you you meditate you're really just looking at how the whole thing works and learning to in a way learning your craft of, of training your heart how to be responsive rather than reactive because in life, mostly uh, as human beings, we're, we're reactive. We, we f- see something beautiful and say, oh, I like that, I want that. We, find, we see something ugly and like, oh, I can't stand that, it's really annoying, that, that person's irritating. So we react without uh, any kind of uh, thought around, or, or any real perspective around likes and dislikes, things that are, that are frightening, things that are attractive, things that are interesting. Um, but with meditation, what you're trying to do is to learn how to be responsive. So you're, uh, which maybe they sound like the same thing, but when I I use the words, what I'm meaning by responsive is you take something in and say, oh, that's really interesting, I like that. And then there's that responsiveness means there's a mindfulness there, an attention that says, whoa, well, that's really interesting, I really like that. So uh, if you turn the page of the magazine, will you still want it? Or is it just the the power of the advert that's saying, (laughs) (laughs) I I need that that new BMW or... uh, that, um, uh, that camera or whatever it might be and uh, that sense of um, being able to have some space around our likes, our dislikes you know, our excitements, our, our depressions, our sadness, our joy and to say okay well this is what I'm feeling, this is genuine, here it is so what's a helpful way to work with this, what fits in with the people around me, what, what fits in with what I'm doing uh, what's the task in hand uh, and so there's a what we'd say a mindfulness and wisdom that you're you're bringing into that in a way more space around those natural feelings and the the, the flow of uh, uh, events and contacts, uh, engagement with other people in the world during the course of a day, and so that that responsiveness means that there's there's more choice. You're uh, you maybe you're really irritated by, irritated by something, but you realise well, I've got a choice to speak out now or should I wait until later or should I think about what I want to say before I say it uh, what's the best way of working with this and you know, sometimes you have to act very quickly <laughs> so that responsiveness might need to work in an extremely narrow window but fair enough but you're, you're basically allowing more space within your life and that that quality of responsiveness rather than reactivity find, means that you can really enjoy your life a lot more that you're not just a victim of your own likes and dislikes and the expectations and um, uh, activities of the, the people around you, the world around you. You're, you're free to choose and to, to relate to things as you wish rather than just uh, reacting in a, a more unconscious or conditioned, habitual way.
It's interesting because the, the stuff you're talking about is very much the take of most modern day spiritual teachers. So I guess they're most of them are drawing on Buddhism um, to an extent or those kind of teachings because it's very, very similar kind of message. Well, we don't have a monopoly on wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> that would be very uh, audacious and, and inaccurate to, uh, to proclaim. But uh, e even if people are borrowing ideas from, from Buddhist teachings, well, fine. It's, it's an open source system where the, where the kind of um, uh, open source medium for, uh, for spiritual teachings. We're not, it's, not it's not hidden away or, or secret or hidden or... or uh, copyrighted or, or kept away it's it's very much the buddha taught in a way what he called the open uh, open-handed teaching so if people are interested it's freely available now we've spoken uh, a fair bit about meditation this evening it would be great um, if you would be uh, be okay to share a meditation with us or take us through a meditation are you are you are you okay to do that certainly yeah? yes all right so when um, we've prepared some uh, some nice meditation music <laughs> You've got everything you need over there, have you? Absolutely, yeah. yes. I've got sip, my mind, my body. Sip of water before you start, maybe? I'm fine. You're okay, all right. When you're ready, you can, uh, can start. First of all, just uh, before trying to do anything, um, just bring your attention into the body, into this moment, and just ask yourself how you feel. What's the mood? Are we excited, interested, energetic, tired? What's the mood like? There's no right or wrong place to start from, but just uh, notice. How is it? What's our, our beginning point in terms of our, our attitude, our mood? And similarly for the body. How does the body feel? Before trying to arrange or fix the body in any way just notice are we feeling heavy or light hot or cool comfortable uncomfortable what's the body like so we're just checking in taking note of what our starting point is how the body is how the mind is this is the material that we have to work with Now bringing the attention into the body, strengthening that sense of focus, then sit yourself in a, a posture that you can be reasonably comfortable for the next few minutes, five minutes or so. Whether you're sitting on a chair or sitting on the floor or kneeling, however it might be, whatever's comfortable for you, try to sit so that your back is upright uh, and that uh, if you're in a, say, a, an armchair, then maybe just move forward to the, the front of the chair. If you're in an upright chair, then just move to the, the uh, not necessarily the front edge of it, but just so that you're not leaning too heavily against the backrest. If you're sitting cross-legged on the floor, just bring the, the attention into the spine and let your back stretch, let the spine extend to its full comfortable limit not so that the there's a tightness or that the spine is overstretched or tense but just so that the body is sitting in a comfortable alert upright posture so the 
the quality of energy is being encouraged, supported. When the back is, is straight, is extended fully, it lends a, a natural brightness, alertness to the mind. And when the spine is the central column, this is the axis of our physical world, then we allow the rest of the body to relax completely, fully around that. As if the, the spine was like a, a firm, tall, straight tree trunk. And the rest of the body is like the branches and twigs, the leaves that Settle gently, rest easily around that central column. So to help this kind of relaxation, just bring the attention first of all into your face. Relax the muscles around your eyes and your forehead. Any kind of tension or tightness there let that melt away and soften, and dissolve. Relaxing the jaw and around your mouth. Letting this wave of, of calm and easefulness just flow down through the body like a warm wave of light slowly spreading through the body, melting, softening all the tension that might be there. And down through the neck into the shoulders, letting them drop an inch or two. The arms relaxed at our sides. And feeling the trunk of the body, the chest and stomach, abdomen. Let's allow the chest to be a little more open, enabling us to breathe more easily, more freely. Let the stomach spread. No need to be tense or rigid. Often our habitual, anxious relationship to the world, to ourselves, can form like a knot of tension down in the solar plexus, down in the stomach. And gently let that soften and loosen. Let your waistline spread. Nobody's watching. Let your, your stomach, your whole belly just loosen and relax. And down through the hip joints, into the thighs. 
Letting the legs relax, softening. Noticing any kind of tension that we meet along the way. Wherever you find any, let go, relax right there. Wherever there's clinging, that's the place to let go. Of following this wave of gentle, warm, relaxing light down through the body, all the way through the legs and knees, down to our ankles, our feet. Giving ourselves permission to be completely at ease, fully relaxed, fully alert. Now the habit of the mind is to either drift off into sleepiness and dullness, peace and relaxation drifts towards dozing, snoozing, or it drifts the other way, alertness, energy drifts towards agitation, busyness, the mind chattering away about past and future. So the aim of the meditation is to develop a balance between alertness and relaxation with the attention focused clearly and firmly here in the present moment. The more we drift away from the moment, the more we drift towards dullness or agitation. So to help focus on this moment, on the present, we take a simple object, something to be a reference point, like a, a flag to aim at, like a, a flag on a golf course. So there, there are many things that we can use for this. The most simple and accessible for most people is just the natural rhythm of our own breath. So now for the next couple of minutes, just let the feeling, the pattern of your own breathing be the center of attention. To reassure ourselves there's nothing that we need to plan, to recollect, to figure out. Just for the next two minutes, let the feeling of the breath be right at the center of attention. We don't need to change the breath, breathe deeply or long. However the breath comes, however it goes, it's quite fine. Just let the breath be at the very center of attention, like the heart of a mandala, the calyx of a, a beautiful flower. Just let the attention rest upon the breath. With each inhalation, each exhalation. And when the mind drifts away, chases after a sound or a feeling, an idea or a memory, as soon as you notice that, gently let go, come back to the breath again, 
like having wandered off to the periphery, out beyond the borders, and then coming back to the center once again. Patiently, firmly, coming back to this present moment, this present reality. doesn't matter how many times the mind drifts away, the present moment is like the most faithful friend, it's always here to come back to, never leaves us, never runs out on us. So if we lose it, get distracted, carried away, entranced by the music, let go, come back to the breath again with kindness, gentleness, steadiness. Also, as you do this, notice what it's like to be caught up, carried away. Notice the feeling of tension, the stress in that. And then when we let go, notice how good that feels when we come back to the reality of this moment, like coming out of the dream, how good that feels. Thank you, Amaru, for sharing that with us. Um, <laughs> this happened to me last week. I'm in a completely different space now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was going to ask you, for people that uh, are interested in um, exploring meditation uh, with the monastery, they do run uh, meditations at the weekends, don't they, I believe? Uh, every Saturday afternoon uh, from 2 until 4, except, um, curiously enough, this coming Saturday because... We have uh, full-on preparations for the big festival day on Sunday. 
But otherwise, uh, every Saturday afternoon, 2 until 4, and people can just show up. There's no need to register beforehand. There's also uh, weekend retreats and um, meditation day-longs also that happen different times during the year, and there's details of that that uh, people can find out from the monastery leaflets or from the website. But more importantly, I think people should feel that they're welcome to come to the monastery anytime, any uh, any day, that uh, it's a sanctuary uh, that's available for people to come and use. Uh, there's no necessity to be a Buddhist or have any kind of um, uh, sense of um, caution about the, the coming to the monastery will somehow um, be some sort of imposition upon the, the faith that people have already or that we're going to try and convert anyone. Mm. There's no... Uh, kind of proselytizing uh, spirit in that but more it's an open space that people can come to there's a, uh, the temple is a beautiful very peaceful sanctuary there's about uh, 16 acres of ground there's a large meadow with a, a shrine in the center people are welcome to come and just spend time be quiet at the monastery if they want to and uh, if they wish to use the um, uh, the presence of the nuns and monks to ask for advice or to come and talk about their in particular questions and uh, um, things of their their family life, their world, or meditation questions, and we're more than happy to, to receive people. The everyday uh, <laughs> presence of the monastery is, in a way, more of an important uh, actuality that's available for people, and I would say that the doors are always open. Mm. The, the motto of the monastery is, uh, the gates to the deathless are open. Uh, <laughs> and so Amaravati means the deathless realm, so it also means the, the monastery gates are open, so if people would like to come and visit and spend time there or to, to talk with uh, myself or other nuns and monks then uh, we're very happy to receive people the openness is, is wonderful um, I also just, just wanted to ask you about the books, I know these are all uh, funded by donation yes, they're all for free distribution so um, they are printed uh, by uh, supporters of the monastery and friends who wanted to make the teachings available so we never sell anything so the, the books are completely freely offered and the leaflets and such like so uh, people who want to come and, and pick up some basic Buddhist literature on these the book you mentioned or other ones of a similar nature, they're they're freely offered. There's no donation expected or <laughs> or hinted at in any way. They are they're free to take. So that spirit of of an open-handed giving is very much the 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 way of the Buddha, and we like to embody that in, in all the the things that we do. So that uh, if people wish for just the meditation guidance, like just the kind of instruction I just gave this evening or uh, more in-depth teachings like the one you were describing about letting go. There's all those kind of things that are covered in the various different books and booklets that we have, so people should uh, help themselves to that. Also on the monastery website, amaravati.org, uh, there's a lot of the literature can be downloaded all for free, and people are also very, very welcome to make use of all of that. And are there any of the books that have been particularly special for you? Um, particularly, the, there's one that's more of a meditation handbook that's called Mindfulness, the path to the deathless, that was put together actually for the opening of Amravati back in the, the mid-80s, uh, back in 1985, that was prepared for that. And that's Ajahn Sumedho, the, the retiring abbot's uh, meditation teaching, so that's particularly wonderful, so I would highly recommend that. And then also, uh, quite by chance, this book, Chitta Viveka, in terms of general talks and approach towards Buddhist philosophy and Buddhist teachings, that's a, a, a gem and a, a, mm. a, a, a rare and beautiful expression of uh, the essence of Buddhist teaching. So it's a, a bit more accessible maybe than the meditation guidance in Path of the Deathless, but 
as a meditation handbook, the other is really very, very useful. And, and what is Ajahn Smeda going on to do? Retirement. So um, he, he's trying to be a free agent. And uh, so he's stepping down from leadership of different communities, but he will go to Thailand. He was originally trained there. He spent 11 years in Thailand. And he, came, he was invited to come to Britain in 77. And he's been living here since that time. So he's made visits back to Thailand regularly, but he's always had a, uh, a wish to, to spend much more time there. So uh, he's going to be based there, but uh, he's also keeping his schedule firmly open. <laughs> and uh, so we all feel very, very happy to be able to give him this opportunity out of our gratitude to him as a teacher and mentor to have a, uh, an open retirement where he doesn't have to deal with all of our problems. <laughs> Amaro, thank you so much for joining us this evening. It's been it's been a real pleasure to talk to you, and um, we hope to uh, maybe speak to you again at some point in the future. Um, thank you. through 
God's own will Because he's crying, crying still Thank you.